Hello, welcome to the Prevention is the New Cure podcast. This is episode seven. I'm Steve Brine. I'm the MP for Winchester and Hampshire, and I'm chair of the Health and Social Care Select Committee in the House of Commons. And I'm Helen Stokes-Lampard. I'm a frontline general practitioner in Lichfield in the Midlands. Um, I'm also chair of the Academy of Medical Royal Colleges, uh, founding chair of the National Academy for Social Prescribing. I happen to also be a professor of GP education at the University of Birmingham. It's great to see you again, Helen. It feels it's only we do this every two weeks. It feels like ages since we did the last one, doesn't it? There's just so much going on, Steve. There's the world so, is I think so it's, busy. I think it's because there's so much going on. Now, why did I have a very long day yesterday, Helen? Um, because you were working desperately hard at the front line, putting oh, it all right for the obvious. for your constituents. Yeah, it's obviously true. Um, but I was down at Chelsea Flower Show yesterday morning Ooh, at gorgeous. six o'clock in the morning. So because I we, we're part of something called the All Party Group on on horticulture and gardening, and we go down very early on the Tuesday of Chelsea Week and um, look around and catch up. And I had Sparshot College, which is in my constituency, that were there, and uh, Chris Bird, who deserves a shout out, who runs the the garden they put together there in the grand pavilion he's done 25 years of chelsea and he's won 10 gold medals <gasps> and he won gold yesterday so i went to meet up with them and you know congratulate them and the students that are what year two students that are working on the on the garden with him wow. and uh it was just so fantastic uh re- really fantastic and you know what the theme there's so much down there at chelsea i remember going when i was the health minister there's just so much health stuff yeah. there's so much health and well-being being and yeah. you know gardens i mean look you know this uh as, as anyone talking my the, language from the social prescribing um yeah. but you know just gardens are a haven are they not and there were so many there you are in the center of london in the center of chelsea and there's these wonderful gardens but so many of them with health themes um yeah. and you know about mental health and dementia and just brilliant have you ever been down there uh, no, I haven't, Steve. And it's funny, I was talking to my husband about it and saying, like, you know, one of my when, when life gets a little less busy, we absolutely have to prioritise this because I love gardens. I, I'm, I'm quite a keen gardener myself, although I don't have enough time to do it very well. But what I love about the concepts of the Chelsea Flower Show is exactly what you say. It's the bringing together loads of different, obviously, creativity and the highest calibre of gardening, but also the themes that they, you know, this year we've got sustainability as a theme. There've been many health themes over time and my passion for social prescribing, where we talk a lot about the power of being in green spaces, the power of doing something creative, the power of interacting with others. All of these tick so many boxes. So whilst not everyone will be able to get to Chelsea and I am more than a teensy bit envious of you managed to do this, um, but I think anybody getting out to green spaces at this time of year, you know, our our parks and our town parks often get really underrated in terms of the, what the parks gardeners do to make them beautiful places for us to feel better about the world and better about ourselves. Yeah, I mean, look, the National Brain Appeal were there with their they won Best Sanctuary Garden. <laughs> There were there was centre point were there they mm. they won they won an award I mean you know it's all on it's all online and of course the BBC coverage of it is is really Very really good, good. really wall to wall every evening you can see uh, the update and tomorrow Friday you will see their sort of wrap up of the week and you know it is great and gardening gardening makes you feel better and it congratulations does. to Sparshot College for for doing that look we've Please had so much feedback from our last episode when we had Chris Askew on from Diabetes UK talking about diabetes and, and how we prevent type two in particular. So thank you to everybody who's come back and told us personal stories 
about their about their fight with diabetes we really really appreciate you you're listening to the podcast please um follow the show on whichever podcast platform you you choose and there are so many other things that we're going to talk about in coming weeks we'll come on to that bit later on but we talked a lot when we started the podcast didn't we helen and we're now on what episode seven we talked a lot about industrial action and you would have thought by now end of may mm. this would be over uh, mm. not so much <laughs> So if we talk non-doctor industrial action, things are at a state where, you know, we had a, a pay settlement, which most of the unions agreed to and have accepted, but the Royal College of Nursing did not. And they're currently out balloting their members as to what to do next there. Uh, this is it. Um, whereas for doctors, we're very devolved. So the British Medical Association, the Doctors Trades Union, uh, is very devolved. So Scotland, um, junior doctors had voted for industrial action, but then a settlement offer has been made, which is quite uh with great progress 14 and a half percent over two years pay rise um, and so the junior doctors in scotland have called off industrial action and are now balloting members as a decision on that one so that would be really interesting so talks um you know deferred um in terms of England and junior doctors, unfortunately, this week we've heard that the ongoing talks have not reached a point uh, to everyone's satisfaction. And so a set of new dates for 72-hour walkouts have been announced. Uh, yeah. starting, 14 to the 17th of June. Yeah. It is massive, isn't it? And they're going to do three days worth of industrial action every month thereafter if things aren't making progress. That's what's been said. So until the mandate runs out so yeah difficult times uh, lots of planning now going on again the nhs in england how to cope with it and we've got consultants out uh, balloting at the moment as to what they're going to do so we'll watch this space but no sign of the workforce plan from the government yet either which i yeah, think you know in terms yeah the favorable workforce plan but i think you know that is part of the cavalry over the hill i think if people in working in the nhs can see that plan and it's credible when it's got numbers attached to it then they maybe will feel more positive and hopeful and you know look at the news this week that inflation is now back down under 10 percent. i mean maybe it's not as low as as some of the projections had hoped for but it's going in the right direction yeah so you know we may be able he says fingers crossed maybe we get in a better place on this in in coming weeks and we need well, to because we're not going to catch up on the backlog unless we do absolutely the workforce plan you know we were led to believe was going to be coming out next week now it's sounding more vague game when it does come out i'm sure we'll be discussing it because it does have implications uh, for us all uh, in terms of what the nhs looks like for the future the structure the sort of people delivering services how they're trained how many of them there are um so yeah this there, and hopefully that will give light and hope to people um and if it doesn't then that's that would be a, a pity look, it will come missed. i mean my understanding is that i think you know government are still uh thrashing through the detail with nhs england uh, i understand i think the prime minister is going through it with his famous fine tooth comb uh which is very fine indeed and that's good you know he's got to he's got to be happy with the detail but all the time that it's not there it's still sort of you know the anticipated workforce plan yeah. instead of the actual workforce plan that, and that that worries me am i allowed anyway, to say that i hope the treasury are going through it all as well well, sure. given that Jeremy Hunt is in the Treasury, I'm sure that's very likely. Because the other big thing in health and politics this week, um, on Monday, Keir Starmer, leader of the opposition, yes. um, had a big health speech, big his speech. health mission. Um, I mean, look, you know, be, being fair, I, I, you you couldn't 
question some of the ambitions that he had in there around early diagnosis of cancer, around tackling the big conditions. Yeah. I was really pleased to see him focus on suicide, which mm-hmm. is, of course, the biggest killer of young men in our country today. That statistic is obviously well known mm. and shocks every time. Um, so it's good to see that in there. But I think, you know, I, I don't think it's me being too partisan to say that there's a lot of detail that that is still missing on on this and you know we can all say that we want to diagnose cancer earlier but you know we need a we you need more detail right now and i'm i'm sure i hope um for their sake that that will come did you catch any of the speech helen unfortunately i was really at the front line with patients on monday um but i've certainly heard plenty of talk about it and as you say not much in there that people wouldn't agree with. I mean, lots of good, sensible stuff. I mean, but it all needs to be part of big picture thinking, doesn't it? So um, but, I'm but glad yeah. to see these things talked about. And you know, he's talking himself into uh, into the podcast because he he talks a lot about prevention. And I so you know, maybe, maybe maybe we should ask Wes uh, Wes Streeting, shadow health secretary, to come on and talk That'd to us sometime fab. about about their vision. Because you know, we yeah, I'm a conservative, I'm a government MP, but you know, this podcast is listened to people of all persuasions and none. And uh, you know, we we try to be fair minded and give everyone a fair crack of the whip. So definitely. And, and on that, uh, we have a guest uh, which we trialed last week, um, and we'll introduce our guest after the break. Welcome back. Okay, uh, prevention is the new cure. This is our podcast. And Helen, as trailed, we have a guest. Uh, we love a guest. We in fact, our guest. guest is a GP. Well, he is a GP. I'm outnumbered. Uh, is a very, very valued colleague of mine, Dr. Luke Evans, MP for Bosworth. And uh, he's joining us now on the pod. Hi, Luke. Welcome along. Steve, Helen, lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. It's and brilliant it's, to see you, mate. We've really enjoyed rare, being in Parliament together. So, It's a rare honour to be a GP and an MP. I don't know which initial suits you better, but... Uh, uh, oh, the... well, there's a lot of... I think there's a lot of similarities between being a good local GP and a good local MP. The only difference is when you finish a consultation, you don't go, right, now vote for me. So that's something <laughs> that I've learned. Um, but Helen, <laughs> I knew your name when I was back at the University of Birmingham as a student back then, and then when I went to anatomy demonstrating. So your reputation already precedes you before I even come to this podcast. That's a slightly ominous thought. Let's move <laughs> swiftly on. Yeah. Look, when you were a GP, did you have any kind of doorbell that uh, announced you were ready for your next patient? This may you... seem like a strange question. Helen knows why I asked. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they used to be the one where you'd hit the, the send in button um, on many. I used to, something called EMIS and it used to then pop up on some of the screens to flash through. But my father's also a GP and they always used to play a prank with him at Christmas time. Uh, they put on patients like Mary and Joseph and he'd go out into the consulting room saying, is there a Mary and Joseph here? And um, catch him <laughs> out each time because my father can be a little bit gullible when it's there. He's working hard and getting onto it. But uh, that's uh, he spent 47 years as a GP. So, wow. um, yeah, a long time. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, look, Luke, you, you joined us today because obviously we're all about prevention and um, you've made a real splash with your recognised body image campaign. And we just wanted to talk to you about that. And maybe you could start by just telling us, you know, where did it come from? And what's it all about? Yeah, the overall concern is about the fact that lots of people out there have anxiety about the way they look and it's worst case you see it as steroid abuse or eating disorders and depression and self-harm but even about one third of people um you know feel worried or shamed about the way they look in their image and that's got worse since we've got social media so i used to see people come to me um who were concerned about this 
And I've always thought we should be more honest about what we're doing with our pictures and our images. And we already label um, when there's product placement in advertisements uh, on TV. And I always thought, well, if we're going to digitally alter our images, shouldn't that carry a label and a warning to suggest that um, people, all you're looking at is not quite as it seems because we're creating this sense of um, a, a world that everyone's aspiring to, but no one can ever achieve because it doesn't exist, a warped sense of reality. And that's having a profound impact on people's mental health. So this was part of a, a campaign that I wanted to put together as a brand new MP to say, look, I'm not political before I stepped in here. I think this will make a difference. How can I carry a small piece of legislation to make a difference? Um, thinking that it would be shot down very quickly at the very start and I'd move on to something else. But actually, if anything, it's always sort of bubbled along and grown and uh, moved in different ways. And uh, and actually, three years on, we've got this great big plethora of work on body image. And it's become something that has really taken hold and people are listening to and trying to make some preventative changes. And I think that's fantastic. There's a long way to go, but it's great to be part of raising this issue up. Thank you so much. I mean, I think what you're raising... It resonates so clearly with me in my sort of frontline GP. You know, people come into the consulting room every day unhappy about some aspect of themselves. Um, but also this has much wider impact. This can often be being unhappy with yourself can be a manifestation of societal, wider societal pressures. Um, there's a whole heap of health inequalities stuff here. And if, if you're on, you know, if your life is unhappy, if you're stressed and strained, all these things can manifest. And some of the things you have control over is the image that you portray to other people. So I think this is a wider issue as well. I'm really glad we're talking about it. I I've also come at this from quite a few other angles. I was at a really amazing public lecture, an inaugural lecture for a, a dear friend of mine who had recently become a professor. And the title of the lecture was called The Beauty of Body Fat. Now, what a wonderful thing. What a sort of feels like an oxymoron in our societal mm. view. Imagine pitching that. Fat. Mm. <laughs> yes. The, the Where would beauty, you start? <laughs> the beauty of body fat. But essentially, it's about the, how our medical understanding has moved on massively the last 20 years, that it's not the fat on the outside that is actually the worrying thing from a medical point of view. It's much more the visceral fat on the inside. It's the fat in the wrong places around our organs or whatever. And clearly carrying large quantities of excess weight on the outside has got, you know, problems, you know, strains on your heart, strains on your joints and so on. But actually it's understanding the fat is so much more, um, you know, it's the beauty, beauty being more than skin deep. So I think there is something there as well, which, which resonates for me. What about you, Steve? Yeah, I mean, I guess as a constituency MP, Luke, you know, I definitely dealt with constituents who've really suffered with anorexia and bulimia. And, you know, I think there's a charity called Beat, isn't there? An eating disorder charity, which I know you, you, you're you aware of. And they, they tell us that there's about, what, 1.2 million people suffering from anorexia or bulimia in the UK today. Um, that They are big, big numbers. So I guess to tie it to prevention, the work that you're doing and the Body Image Pledge and tell us a bit about the, the altered body images bill that you brought forward, yeah. how does that connect to try and divert young people? And I'm guessing majoritively girls but i'm I, I know it's not not entirely how does those two things connect that work to preventing this 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 disorder in the first place well you're absolutely right and you know people who suffer with anorexia and bulimia we've seen a big uptick in it in the last five years especially during the pandemic as well often people think it's about image it's about control actually most patients who come to you to talk to you about it first of all they don't see a problem that's the hardest part about it because when you start to go down an eating disorder 
actually your feedback you get first off is actually you look great you've lost a little bit of weight and that reinforces mm-hmm. what's going on then you often add in the gym that you want to go to the gym as well so you're seen and perceived to be healthy um, and this perception then builds up and the hardest thing about um, anorexia and bulimia is that control around calories and in your intake and what you look like um, but then the reinforcement about do you really want to get better And also, it's not like an addiction in terms of alcohol or gambling where abstinence is the aim. You can't abstain from eating. So it's always confronting you three, four, five times a day. That's the real difficulty with anorexia and bulimia. The reason I mention all this is because actually with a scale that's growing on with teenagers and people in their 20s developing into this, they're going to live with this condition for the rest of their lives. Um, And it's got as bad a prognosis as things like schizophrenia. And that's the problem we're facing with it. So we're building up a huge problem. And so that's the background for it. Now, most people never get there, which is the good news. Um, And that leads me into where I was trying to get to the the point is that I have no problems with people aspiring. And actually within the, we are an obese nation, but within the people who are getting fatter, actually there are people getting fitter and thinner. And so from a public policy side of things, it's a real challenge actually, because how do you put in place policies that tackle both ends? And I think something like this uh, about labeling is saying there is an open opportunity for people to be themselves and aspire to look better, to look like you want to, um, you've come out of an Avengers movie or your Superman or James Bond emerging from from the water. Fantastic. Aspire to it, but you can't live your life like that. You've got to find a happy balance which is where Helen's talking about it's about living your life in a healthy way being a little bit more active and a little bit more conscious about what you're eating what you're putting in because there are extremes at both ends so if I pull that into what I was trying to do the first point about legislation is simply saying I don't want to stop uh, you know a bride who wants to touch up her wedding uh, photo because she's got a spot or something like that but I do think when you're using commercial images that we should label them to say you've digitally altered the biceps or the waist you've made the biceps bigger the breasts larger the waist slimmer because that doesn't exist i mean the example would be if you're going to rent a flat in london or buy a house in uh, in, in leicestershire you can spruce up the lighting on the pictures you can put in new paint and whatever but fundamentally you can't make the kitchen bigger the garden longer because everyone goes that doesn't exist it's dishonest It's dishonest. And and, and that's what we're doing. And the good news within this is um, the government has picked it up as part of the uh, women's health strategy. The places like Norway are actually leading on this. So they put in legislation already on top of this. France in the last couple of months have come forward and said they're looking at doing this as well. But behind that, then, I don't want to legislate. I'm a conservative MP. Um, I don't want to put legislation unless we need it. So the other next uh, sort of iteration of this was to say, well, why don't we just ask the advertising industry what they're doing about it? Will, will they make a change? And we got 86 MPs from seven different parties across the House to sign a letter, an open letter to say, look, will you sign up to a pledge not to digitally alter your proportions in your advertising? And that really took off. And we've had the likes of Dove, Marks and Spencers, Pure Gym, Boots, um, Boohoo, you know, a huge range of companies, big companies, all sign up and say, yes, actually, we, we won't digitally alter. Now, my thought here is, that's great. The industry is taking a lead role in it. It's going to try and solve the problem. And then you'll be left to hopefully um, legislate to say that those who want to do it can still do it, but they just need to be honest about it. So I you're like creating that, a wedge. I think that's brilliant and well done you. One of the stats that you gave us and I've noticed in your campaign is um, 51% of 7 to 10 year olds feel very happy with how they look. But by the time they get to 11 to 16 year olds, most girls start to use social media 
that drops to 16%. Now, there has to be a connection, right? And that's what, you're, that's what you're saying. And, uh, you know, that comes from Girl Guiding. And Girl Guiding do a fantastic yearly research on their girls. And it's really staggering, the, the propensity of what their data shows and how it changes. And this is really picked up, even as a constituency backbench MP, I am picked up by uh, young people who talk to me about it. But actually, you know, grandparents and parents, and when you talk to people about it, uh, you know, occasionally I get here, say, well, Luke, why are you bothering about this? Because, you know, it doesn't really matter. Can't people just switch off? And I simply say to them, well, speak to your son, speak to your daughter about this. What are they saying? And it's amazing how many people know about it, see it as an issue and just assume nothing's going to get done about it. I and that for me is quite staggering. And so, so, you know, Luke, like we've already we've said, I love the concept of this campaign. I think the work you're doing is fantastic. For me, there are other areas that we could be looking at. And Steve, I don't know if the Health Select Committee have thought about some of this, but I think there are a lot of challenges around. So uh, there's cosmetic surgery, body altering surgery. There are issues around inappropriate use of anabolic steroids. Um, so, you know, we've touched on some of these things. And for me, I, you know, we've talked about the horrendous figures around eating disorders, but this subtle stuff, the stuff that leads to bizarre behaviours, people being distracted from their other lives because of their addiction to social media uh, and this fixation, you know, the the whole thing about uh, filters on social media apps, you know, it started as a joke, sticking dog ears or a pig nose on your auntie and then move to so much more. And it is so destructive, so, so destructive. Um, the cosmetic surgery stuff, you know, I see an awful lot of challenges uh, with Botox and fillers. And people often start with Botox and fillers as sort of the entry level to this stuff. Um, then you go down the route of having just one little thing done with cosmetic surgery, which leads to a quest for a greater perfection. And there is, you know, people are becoming addicted to some of these things. People are going abroad to have some of these things done using unregulated practitioners. So there's a lot of areas we could go into. Um, but then there is also a very fair challenge about what is okay, what's appropriate, when does self-esteem and improving one's confidence lead into a pathology? And, you know, hey, for those of you, we're doing this in audio, but people who could see me right now, I've got my lipstick on right now because trust me, I look, I feel better and I look better with my lipstick on. And I think that's okay. I had laser eye surgery done many years ago. Fantastic. Was that cosmetic surgery? Was that medically remedial surgery? Who knows? I think these are just debates we should be having publicly. Well, uh, well, well said. I mean, thank goodness it is in audio because no one can see my lipstick. But Luke, what um, is the call to action here? I mean, obviously, as MPs, you know, so many people supported your digitally altered body images bill. Yeah. Um, but that was a backbench bill. And, you know, you need to push that forward. How can people find out more about your campaign who are interested in this and just sort of get behind it? That, that would be people in the industry um, or just young people who want some support around this yeah so there's so many things let's do the support first the most important one as yeah. i would say this but you can always go to your gp and speak to them about it be do a fantastic um uh, sort of follow-up around the eating disorders side there's the mental health foundation who do a lot of research and support in this area as well there's the body dysmorphic association as well particularly when it comes to actually using cosmetic procedures and these kind of things um i think the first thing is 
when you're looking, if you want to get into this, you're right, Helen. I mean, where is the dis- definition of beauty? What does it look like? Who to, who's to tell someone to aspire? Very, very hard questions. And, you know, philosophers will dis- debate this long and hard. The key thing is, from my position, is looking at it pragmatically. If you want to go down this, what's the safest way you can be most informed about the risks and benefits that you're going to ach- achieve from doing this? That all comes down to the way you're consented for what you're going for. And my worry is, why are people being driven into what they need to do? And why are they getting to that position? They feel so uncomfortable. They need to make these changes because what are they hoping it'll give them? We know that, for example, plastic surgery over the whole done well can actually give you a very positive uplift for the rest of your life in the way in which your happiness is scored. The problem is when it goes wrong, also it can have a detrimental effect. So how do you balance that? That's probably another debate. But the call to action is simply this, um, is uh, to, to raise this up and talk about this issue. The problem is it's a big issue. The problem is it's not going away. So if you're sat there, you write to your MP, first of all, to always raise it. Steve, you'll appreciate me saying that. MPs always love to hear about uh, campaigns. Second of all, if you're in industry, you can sign up to your the Body Image Pledge on my website. There's all the information there. We're currently got a couple more big companies. I can't announce them yet, but are due to come out in the next month who have signed up again to support this. So it's ongoing. Behind that is actually the work with the ASA. So the Advertising Standards Authority have a lot of work to uh, to say on this. They did uh, a call for evidence over the last summer around body image and have broken into three strands now. The first one is around uh, diversity and beauty, but the second two are about digitally altered images and muscularity in advertising. Um, and that's really important because if you are seeing these images, they work on being reported to. So anyone in the public who sees an image they think has been distorted can report it directly to the Advertising Standards Authority. They are looking for people to come to them and raise these kind of issues up so they can pass judgments on it and look at it from that side. So there's a great plethora being put in to to try and deal with this. And of course, calling out the social media companies to make sure they are labeling and honest about what they are putting out there. The good news is a lot of these filters do have labels. The bad news is it's easy to take those labels off and use it and distort it. So Mm. uh, calls to the social media companies to be responsible about this. And we haven't delved yet into the online advertising um uh there's the online advertising program coming forward there's the online safety bill that's being brought forward to look at these kind of things and there is technology out there particularly around uh, adobe that are looking at how images are altered and sort of signposting and flagging about that and understanding um the the content behind it what it looks like and and how to verify that uh, these are all things that are coming and tools in the future. So there's a huge amount going on. The problem is it's prevalent all the time. We as politicians have to talk about it to raise it to make it an issue. That's can I brilliant. just come in? Steve, just before yeah. we wrap up, can I just come in one last thing? Luke, I love all that. I think absolutely yes. Um, I think for me, there's something about wider societal expectations. And I think there's something about how we educate our young people about what normal is, about what normal health, beauty, well-being is, and what normal ageing looks like. It is normal as you get older. Normal bodies are variably hairy, variably greasy. They have a variably patchy skin tone. Hair goes greyer, muscle gets weaker and, and you know we look more flabby as we get older and do you know what that's okay and a lot of people actually get more accepting of their bodies as they get older that as you get more comfortable and literally more comfortable in your own skin but I don't think we teach and talk about that enough 
No, Helen, you're right. And I, you know, I spend a lot of time um, using things like TikTok and Instagram in this space. Um, and that's a debate for another time. But actually, what you're seeing is a counter narrative, particularly from the fitness in, uh, industry, showing images of what people are like when they're in good lighting with makeup on in a cutting phase to have their six pack and then what they look like in normal light in a normal after a night out. And I think that is so important because yeah. the danger is looking at a one off image. We all have that great picture that we're very proud of everyone. Uh, yeah. Uh, listening will have that we don't spend our time looking like that and that's the imperative we need to get out there and that's okay that is okay we've all got to take responsibility for that and being honest about it we there's hashtag living my best life on social media isn't there everyone's trying to put out the best image in themselves great to aspire to but we've also got to be honest about it. that's why i love it there's a social media app called be real it's a french company it's like instagram but it clicks on randomly uh when you've uh, asking you to take a photo of what you're doing at the time and loads of young people sign up to it and it's just it, it tells you if it's been retaken and it's this kind of thing that says no this is life uh, as it is and lots of people there's a, there's a great uh, explosion in this kind of honesty around it both in commercial industry online uh, at the fitness industry and that should be encouraged and we should do more to talk about that saying it is absolutely fine you know to have a hair out of place and, and laugh and joke about it because if you can do that that is what life is about that'll make you feel better both internally from laughing but also externally about the way that not everyone is as they appear and can't be perfect all the time Dr. Luke, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about it. Do you want to just uh, plug the where they find you on social media? You are very famously uh, the MP on TikTok. Uh, so just <laughs> just, just give people the um, the addresses where they can yeah, find so, you on um, social media. I mean, any of my social media handles are at Dr. Luke Evans. Um, hashtag recognize body image and the body image pledge are the two things you can search for. It's on my website too. And so please do sign up and give us your support. Brilliant. Thanks, Thanks for coming so on. Good luck with the rest of the campaign. Thank you so much. Well, Luke was great, wasn't he, Helen? He's, oh, he's a always real, good. He's great. He's a really buzzy MP. I mean, he used to be on the Health Select Committee, but he's got so much energy, that guy. I'm always seeing him in votes in his shorts and T-shirts because, <laughs> you know, he's in, in the gym or having a run. You know, it makes you sick, doesn't it? <laughs> well, he's a University of Birmingham graduate. So he was a student yeah. years ago when I was training there, when I was teaching and lecturing there. So, uh, yeah, it sometimes makes you feel old. No, no, I love his campaign and, uh, you know, please find it on social media. Anyway, time for this. That can only mean that the pod surgery is open. And we've had so much feedback on our last episode talking about diabetes. But we have a few weeks ago, didn't we? We talked about vaping and smoking after the government announced their new smoking plan. But the person in pod surgery this week is you, Helen, because you, you on our WhatsApp group uh, have been... Um, battering us to talk about this some more and tell everyone why because there's been a big vaping story this week there has been a big vaping story and this one is kudos to the bbc for a good bit of investigative journalism here so we talked about vaping we talked about the issues that vaping should be regulated licensed vapes can be used as a step down from people who are addicted to tobacco smoking um and that there is a lot of sense in doing that but that we didn't want to see people starting vaping who are not already addicted to something else what's happened is that we know a lot of young people uh, use vapes uh, inappropriately turns out there are loads of illegal vaping devices out there so vaping devices are a regulated medical product so the mhra regulates them which sets standards to how much nicotine is in them uh, to ensure they are as safe as they can be for 
use. However, these illegal products, one enterprising head teacher confiscated a load of devices from pupils in his school, got in touch with the BBC. BBC had the idea to get these devices analysed and it turned out a lot of them contain a whole heap of toxic, nasty chemicals, you know, massively above safe limits for things like lead, nickel and chromium. These are compounds that can cause serious harm, whether that's harm to the brain, whether that's uh, risk of carcin uh, cancers developing, so the carcinogens, um, and that's a really nasty, worrying fine. So is this a vaping problem or is this just, uh, you know, is this an enforcement problem? Because, you know, I remember when I had the public health brief and the smoking brief in government, there was talk about illegal cigarettes coming onto the market that contain some nasties. Um, you know, any product, of course, that comes in under the under the radar on the black market can therefore be dangerous. But Neil O'Brien, who, who is the public health minister at the moment, he, when he announced the big smoking plan that we talked about, mm. I think there was three million quid in there to to create what he calls an illicit vapes enforcement squad. Imagine imagine being part of that. Um, <laughs> and, and that's sort of going to do test purchasing in stores and vape shops and going to have the power to remove illegal products from shops and at our borders. That's critical, isn't it? I was out for I was out for dinner the other night with some friends, and um, over the dinner table, they were knocking me about on vaping. And you know, what are you doing on this? You can imagine my life. What are you doing on this one <laughs> on the select committee? And and you know, we are definitely uh, we were talking to the select committee yesterday. We are definitely going to be talking about this on the select committee in in very short order because it's just an issue, isn't it? That's going up and up and up it the is. health and political agenda. So you asked, is this a vaping issue or is this a sort of like, like a trading standards issue? And I think it's yeah. both, It's both, Steve. So the trading standards side, yeah, this is a product which is being marketed, it's manufactured illegally and badly and then being sold on. So there is, you know, there is the whole legality and inappropriate use and, and sidestepping. And that's, that's the law. And you definitely need to invest a lot into enforcement. At the moment, the penalties just aren't that strict. You know, so somebody who's caught selling this stuff, I think it's a maximum of a £2,000 penalty. You know, we can we can up that. We can make the disincentives greater. For me, there's a big worry about vaping as an entry into other illicit drug uses. And it turns out a lot of kids, are, young people, sorry, are buying these devices from the same sort of people who sell illegal drugs. So then the ones who will then sell them their cannabis and then their harder drugs. And that is a serious worry because these devices often have very, very high levels of nicotine too. So people are going to get more swiftly and more severely addicted to nicotine. Um, and all these things are a bit of a combination. Oh, can I, unburden, back, a, can yeah. I unburden a worry on you? Of course you can. So, so when we pushed vaping uh, and we did some of the first advertising campaigns around, you know, switch from smoking to vaping, it mm. was... You know, it was a it was a ramp out of smoking. Yes. My concern is that vaping is becoming a ramp into smoking. Or I notice or other drugs, as you just said, uh, Australia, I notice, has banned recreational vaping. Major public health move that the BBC were reporting from down under this week. You know, nobody now would argue against the smoking ban in public ah. places, would they? In indoor public spaces. Uh, I wonder whether that's where this is going. So I don't know the details of the, the Australia ban. I know that there's something has come in and I'm guessing that they're basically banning vaping in the same places that smoking is banned. And in that case, you can see an argument for that. What we don't want is people exposed to any of this stuff who wouldn't otherwise be. Um, 
what really troubles me is the way marketing of a lot of these vapes is done, d- deliberately done to be attractive to young people. You know, the bright colours, the sweet flavours. I mean, you and I disagree on the sweet flavours. You know, I, I find them quite a turn off, but a lot of fe- people find them. Well, quite I have attractive. news on sweet flavours because I popped into a vape shop in in Winchester the other day when I was mm. out and about doing constituency day, and uh, you know, they are. They're obviously trading perfectly yep. legally and above board, and they were really welcoming. And full disclosure, I said who I was and that I chair the health committee and just said, you know, I was interested in understanding a bit more. And I asked about these flavors. Mm. And they told me there did used to be a Skittles flavor, you know, the sweets. Um, and of yes. course, Skittles came down on them like a ton of bricks yeah. and, uh, you know, quite rightly. Whole, whole threatened them with legal action, quite right. And so they changed, I think it's called rainbow flavor now. Um, yeah, see what they've done there. Um, so, but you know, what, why, why was that? Why did that vape want to be that flavor? Exactly. I'm guessing it wasn't to attract, you know, women in their sixties who are giving up smoking. Yeah. I'm guessing that there was a different marketing aim of that. Yeah, indeed. Um, and, and so yeah, it's, it, it's a huge worry. Um, but this is certainly one that is going to run and run as yeah. they say. We'll be back now. Now look, we'll wrap it up there, I think, but for, for, for future pods, um, obviously we're very keen to hear from you with your feedback on what we're talking about and your suggestions for topics that we might discuss and stuff that might come before Dr. Helen and not so Dr. Brian in the, in, the pod surgery uh it's podcast at stevebryan.com or just message us on socials um i was speaking to sarah hurley uh, the other day helen who is mm-hmm. the outgoing chief dental officer um and she's very keen to talk to us about Excellent. dental health and oral health and what we can do to prevent some of the it's not just dental problems that come from bad oral health am i right absolutely cardiovascular disease all sorts of other things are linked to uh, poor oral hygiene so yeah be great to have her on so yeah, Sarah's really good fun and she's really keen to come on the pod. So um, hopefully we'll get her on to a future episode. And uh, as ever, keep the feedback coming, like the pod and uh, until next time, happy gardening. Have a happy bank holiday and remember the sun cream and the hay fever medication. Yes, doctor. Doctor.